Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome to the Cosmo Happy Hour. It's everything you would talk about with your best friends, from sex to celebrity to entertainment. From the editors of Cosmopolitan.com, this is the Cosmo Happy Hour with Elisa Benson. So what is the first thing you say when you introduce yourself? If you were anything like me, you basically, your entire identity is generally summed up by your job. So hello, my name is Elisa Benson. I work for Cosmopolitan.com. As millennial women, we basically constantly put our self-worth in our career. Our careers define us. A job is more than a title. It's a status. It's even an identity. Think about it. From the time you're a little girl, people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now it's, what do you do? What do you want to be doing? Which I think is why we put so much pressure on finding the right job and career. And then once you found it, there's this non-existing concept of arriving. But do we ever actually arrive? Is there a point when anything becomes easy? And how do you find happiness at work, particularly if you're not where you want to be? I'm Elisa Benson, and this is another episode of Cosmopolitan.com's Happy Hour podcast. And today we're going to hear from six insanely successful women who have had tremendously successful careers. And they're going to tell you all of their secrets about how they got where they are and if they ever felt like they've arrived. Our first guest is a popular host slash reporter. She started out as an intern at the popular entertainment news site, hollywire.com. She worked her way up in the company, and now she's the lead host, writer, and executive producer with a co-founder credit. Under her lead, they have over 1.6 million subscribers on YouTube and over 20 million views monthly. Can you say boss? Please welcome to the podcast, Chelsea Briggs. Hi, Chelsea. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, And so tell us how you have had the most insane career ever, starting as an intern and going all the way up to being like lead view grabbing boss lady. Well, first off, thank you. Um, but yeah, I, you know, me, I, I knew I always wanted to host and, uh, and and be a writer and producer and be in the entertainment industry. And when I graduated college, I was working in production. You know, I interned at, interned at MTV, doing a lot of production type stuff. And I, I kind of struggled with, okay, how do I make that jump from behind the scenes to in front of camera? Because a lot of people want to do that, and it's difficult. So. For me, I kind of took advice from someone who said, you know, maybe you should find an internship again and and intern at a place that you can see yourself working your way up. You know, everyone likes people that work for free. (laughs) So um, I sort of started applying for internships again, you know, and after I graduated, which was kind of a funny, a funny, felt like a step back, but I found Hollywire. It was sort of this like, you know, little website who really wasn't doing much with online video. And I was really passionate about wanting to uh, focus on online video. I just, I was very, I knew that it was sort of the future. So I kind of went to them and said, hey, if I can, you know, um, head your production online digital department here, your video department and host for you guys and write for you guys, like I would love to intern here and work for you guys for free and just really sort of, you know, get my hands dirty and figure out this industry. And so that's sort of what I did. And and so wait, you know, I want to put a pause on that for a second. So this yeah. wasn't even like you sending in your little cover letter to like a resume or, you know, to a, an internship opening. It sounds like you really reached no. out to them and created this opportunity for yourself. Exactly. And I think that that's what 
what's what's really you know I encourage people to do that you know it's like you're not getting the job you want well it's like go create it somehow and and there's so many ways to do that these days with YouTube and and social media and it, there's it's um and yeah and, and from my experience it's it was something that I sort of felt very very passionately that I needed to sort of do so um, yeah and then you know being there at Hollywire, you know, I've been there for almost seven years now, which is crazy, but, you know, over the changes in the company and people leaving and sort of as it, as it sort of developed, I kind of suddenly became the one that was in charge in a sense, you know, it was right. like our executive person left and then I was make, making more and more decisions, having more responsibilities, finally getting hired. And um, it came to a point, like the turning point for me was when um, I had sort of like a partner there who is who is helping me kind of in the same boat as me wanted to be a host and producer and she decided to sort of leave and go to our competitor and at that point Hollywood really we had made a name for ourselves like um, in the industry as far as you know sending uh, emails out to outlets and getting on red carpets and covering Sundance and Fashion Week but we weren't we still didn't have that huge following we wanted so I sort of was faced with, okay, she left, it's me now, um, I can either leave as well or make this into something even greater, and, and I kind of, uh, you know, chose the latter and, and decided to come up with a business plan and bring on a mentor and present that plan to my boss and sort of <laughs> promise him that it would work, not really knowing if it would right. work, but, but feeling like it, I hoped it would, and it did, so Chelsea, that's sort of think, been the journey. Yeah, and I think there's something so important about what you're saying, because sometimes I feel like there's a moment of being, like, not happy in a job. And you so often hear the advice to leave or like if it's not fulfilling, if you feel like you've done everything you can do, you know, that's when you know you need to find a new position. And I feel like we don't hear as many stories like yours where you're saying I took the job I was at and made it even bigger and made it even more exciting. And for some people, that's probably going to be much more realistic. So I think it's important to hear that kind of success story. Yeah, it's like I'm such a firm believer in you know go after what you want like you know it sounds cheesy but it's like the world is your oyster you can do whatever you want you just need to do it and and really kind of put the steps forward to do that to do what you want to do right and so a lot of our readers and listeners are college age they're they sort of know about interning and the hustle of interning can you talk specifically about how you went from being sort of like the free intern labor to getting a paycheck yeah, I think the number one thing is just making yourself valuable. Like, I think I had in my head, and someone must have said something to me uh, about it, but I had in my head that I knew that I wanted to make myself so valuable valuable to this company that they kind of couldn't let me go, you know what I mean? Right. Like, so it was sort of creating, you know, I sort of, I took under my belt also creating this internship program, and I sort of modeled it after my MTV internship program, and I pamphlet, and I created, you know, just... Like, all right, I'm basically the expert of this program. So, you know, and that, that's just one example. But I wanted to make myself so valuable to that company that at the end of the day, if I were to leave, it would be detrimental to them. Basically. It would be disaster. So, exactly. Yeah, so I think that's my biggest piece of advice. And even now, having interns, seeing, you know, oh, which you're, ones um, breaking are, are up. awesome. Chelsea, you're breaking up just a tiny bit. Like, move oh, closer to the window or away from it or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you were saying, yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah, so so I was saying that, yeah, I think just making, my biggest piece of advice is making yourself very valuable to that company you're working for to the point where when it is your time to leave, they don't want to let you go. They can't let you go. You know, you know too much. You, you have your, too many things. And, um, and now it's, it's interesting having interns myself and seeing which ones, you know, I'm drawn to. 
that person didn't really, you know, put their all into this. It's, I think the one thing is just being an intern telling being very vocal about what it is that you're interested in what do you want to know more about and and really getting involved because to be honest like i want interns to come in and and i want them to have a great experience and i want them to be fulfilled and learn so if you come to me and say hey i want to sit in the green screen room with you every day and i want to watch you host when right. i want to be in the red carpets with you you know it's just kind of really making the best of it being um being excited to be there right and I I actually think especially for women who sometimes you know walk that line of like how assertive to be in a job role I think you sometimes think that you're being a good intern by saying like I can help you with anything you need like you know and seeming like you're so up for anything but I think it's important you know for people who are interns to also know what a big difference it makes to say to your boss I want to do this I care about this I'm really interested in this and it seems like that served you well in your career yeah, I would I would totally agree. And also, it's like making, um, m- even if you don't know, I know that sounds, that's funny, but it's like, even if you don't know exactly, maybe maybe narrow it down to f- uh, three things. Three sure. things you know you're interested in and, and sort of just go after those. Because, um, you know, it's hard to sit there and say, a lot of people in college don't know exactly what they want. Right. I still don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hello. Hi. Where are we going to be in five years? We don't know. Exactly. I know. Well, I'm going to call you in five years and we'll talk about that. Okay. <laughs> but I love that advice about the three things. And I know you have to jump off the phone. Um, and we are just like hustling along on this podcast yeah. today. Anyway, but my one last question I want to ask you before we have to let you go is, you know, with so much success, with so many red carpets, with millions and millions and millions of views, with all the success, like, how do you ever feel like you've made it or really arrived? Oh my gosh, that's like, that is the golden question. I think, um, and I talk to my friends about this a lot because it's kind of scary in the industry. It's like you, you know, once you get one thing, you want the next thing. And it's like sort of defining what, what does make you happy. And I guess I've honestly been doing a lot of self work about that this year because, um, for me, yeah, I found myself in a, okay, yeah, I just did this. I just, I just hosted the red carpet for the AMAs. Amazing. But now I want to do the Oscars and now I want to, you know, it's like, it's constant. And I think that that's a good thing to have because I think that is what will create, you know, that's what will make you successful. But I think there is a time, I think you need to also be able to step back and sort of enjoy and live in that moment and you know right. for me I'm using obviously as an example being on a red carpet and being able to just live in that moment and say right. oh my gosh enjoy this journey like right. this, this is what I'm doing I'm doing this because it makes me happy and you know so um, take that you know, second like, to just be like this is so effing cool exactly yeah. and you have to you have to because at the end of the day you're going to get to the top and you're going to be like what just happened that right. was a blur like right. you know so this is this is the time we're living for it's it's you know it's hosting and it's messing up and it's you know flubbing names on the carpet and it's you know it's doing whatever it's learning the lessons and I think it's just really embracing that and granted I'm not an expert because I'm still figuring out that balance right but um but you know i know that i have bigger dreams and i'm excited to accomplish those but i also know that it's so important right now to live in the moment and be grateful for what you've done and how far you've come and i think that that's just so important to be in touch with that well so well said thank you so much chelsea i know you're literally at your job right now and have to get back to it but thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk to us Absolutely. And good work to you. High five. I'm Thank you. High five right now. <laughs> I love I that. I hope to talk to you soon. <laughs> For sure. Bye, Chelsea. All right. Bye. 
Our next guest is someone you all know. She is the founder and owner of Nasty Gal. She's the New York Times bestselling author of Girl Boss, and she's currently working on the highly anticipated follow-up Nasty Galaxy. Thank you for chatting with us today, Sophia Amoruso. How are you? Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really good. Um, Thank you so much for joining. This is so exciting for me. This is super fun. For both of us, I'm sure. So, <laughs> cheers. We're, cheers, exactly. Um, yeah. cheer, podcast cheers. But So we are talking today on the podcast all about this idea of sort of arriving and the weirdness about finding happiness at work and sort of really taking a time, really taking a moment to sort of appreciate your successes. So to start with, you, everyone knows the story of you taking the Nasty Gal brand from this little eBay store into this massive empire and sort of movement that it is now. When you started off, how much of an end goal did you have in mind? Oh my gosh. I mean, I was 22. My end goal, I think, was just to pay my rent. Right. And at that time, it was like $500 a month. Right. Um, it was, you know, it's, it's baby steps. You know, everybody asks, you know, what, when did you know? Like, what was the moment that you knew? And the fact is, the way things work is just that they're all small breaks. Right. Little breaks. You know, it's like baby steps. You don't have one big break. You're constantly learning and evolving. And so, you know, I think my end goal was really to work for myself, which I had never done before. And that happened pretty quickly. And then it was like, okay, now what? And, you know, I just improved. I tried to improve everything that I did every day. And I guess that's what I've been doing for the last 10 years now. It's just crazy. Right. And I think actually I love your idea of describing it in terms of baby steps, because I think one Mm -hmm. of the things, and this is like part of the like weird idea that we wanted to talk about on the show today is the thing that's weird about success is that it is typically these little tiny baby steps. So, you know, the goal you had to pay your rent, as soon as you can pay your rent, it's like you're already over that goal and kind of on to the next thing. So Mm -hmm. how do you ever really feel like you've arrived or that you've made it? I mean, do you feel that way now? Like I've made it. Um, I think I feel like an adult. Yeah, I've definitely made it to adulthood. But beyond that, there's no like I've made it. I think once you stop and take enough time to look at yourself in the mirror. And I mean, it's one thing to say, like, I'm I did something great. I'm really proud of myself. I made my parents proud. I took my friend to dinner. I can afford oysters. That's great. But beyond that, it's really like there is no there is no destination. If you're the person who stops and says, like, I made it, you're going to the whole world is just going to blow by you by the time you finished saying that. So I think it's just great to, to stop and celebrate your wins. But like, you just like stay humble, you know? Right. Um, And I know this is something that you, you know, when you were sort of saying you started off and you were kind of just like, I just want to pay my rent or, you know, you, Mm -hmm. your dreams have gotten bigger along the way. But I think there's something that's so real for a lot of our listeners and a lot of women in college or in their 20s that are just like, I don't know what I want to do. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's one thing to be really hardcore about your path when you do know. And it's a lot harder if you're saying like, I don't even know what I'm interested in. I don't even. Mm -hmm. And I I almost feel like that's something that is particularly difficult in 2016 because with the internet and social media and with how easy it is to sort of be a self-starter and be a creator, it's almost like there are too many options and I think people feel overwhelmed and paralyzed in fear. Absolutely. Not that I'm talking that's, about myself. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I think it's just important to, to try a lot of things. And, yeah. you know, the, it's, and I think that's actually a really accepted thing now. You know, 20 years ago, even, you know, maybe more recently, having a resume with, you know, more than 
I don't know, a few things on it in your 20s looked like you were like a job hopper. And now it's just, you know, our whole generation is really into kind of exploring what it is that they're interested in following our passions. And, you know, we're not the generation who takes a job and sticks with it for 12 years at a time or, you know, 40 years at a time. And while, you know, some people who work in public service or other areas, you know, that that may work out great for the rest of us are, are pretty are pretty lost. And I think just trying things is the best way to know if you, you know, if they're for you, you just have to try things on. Right. So I have to ask you the question that like unfairly women always get asked, but like you have so much going on with Nasty Gal, with Girl Boss Radio, mm-hmm. with writing your book, all your millions of projects. Like, do you have any time for work-life balance? Do you even like believe in that? Is it real? Is it a unicorn? I don't. I think... <sighs> You know, again, it's like another destination that is just scary that I'd rather take off my plate and just take care of myself. Right. So if I were to wake up every day and be like, am I balanced? You know, I definitely <laughs> can say when I'm not balanced yeah. and that I need to exercise or, oh, my gosh, I've been drinking too much wine or right. um, maybe I need a vacation. Um, but beyond that, I think I do think balance is a bit of a myth. I think it's up to all of us to find out what is required to take care of ourselves and to make us feel um, capable of taking on our day and like our bodies are nourished and our minds are nourished and that we're challenged in everything that we do. And, you know, I think that's the closest you can get to balance and try to keep all of those things in the air at all times, which is hard. Which is so hard. hard. Yeah. But actually I sort of love that advice of like thinking about it just kind of on a daily and minute by minute basis Mm -hmm. and not making it feel like work-life balance like this thing yeah. I've arrived at because the pressure late, the whole concept just take all the air out and things get a lot easier right <laughs> right so has there been any advice that you've been given in your career that has really served you um Gosh, I, I think the biggest advice and what I keep learning is that life is a marathon, not a sprint. You know, you're mm. in your 20s and you're like, oh, my God, I want everything to happen now. And sometimes it even does happen now. And I got used to that. And I think I got even a little spoiled by that. And that's the best you can hope for. But then you realize that you're building things for the long term right. um, and not everything's going to come right away. And, you know, that, that things come out in the process and that time is such a, an important thing for, you know, for, to find success, to have perspective, to, um, you know, to establish relationships, to really get to know people um, and for anything to happen. So I think just for me, it's been the passage of time, you know, feeling that kind of for the first time in a different way in my early 30s. Right. Um, really feeling like, wow, okay. Like, I sprinted through my 20s, and now I feel like I'm just going to kind of, like, jog and skip and maybe sometimes even walk, you right. know, for a little while. And that's a, that's a really good feeling to f- be okay with that. That um, Yeah, that's a great feeling. And I'm also in my 30s, so I totally, totally feel you, which is weirdly, I feel like I all the time on the podcast talk about being in my 30s but because everyone who's in their 30s knows what perspective you have in a way that you were never expecting when you were sort of in that like sprint of your 20s um but I even think what you're saying you know in this sort of like social media age you know there is it is a sprint and it can feel so fast all the time and I think what you're saying is so important to sort of remember the long term and You know, even as simple as just like, I'm terrible about, you know, people I work with, people I interview on the podcast. I'm never remembering to like send a follow up email or like, you know, Mm -hmm. that's so stupid, but it gets hard. And those things are so important for the long term. I agree. I totally agree. Um, Has anyone ever given you really terrible advice in your career? 
I feel like I've gotten a lot of terrible advice and I've taken a lot of terrible advice yeah. and it's hard not to blame other people because they're just doing their best. I, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would definitely be from people who have more experience than me. Mm. And that's such a touch, tough thing because you have to trust people that have more experience than you, especially when you're working with them. Um, but then there's your gut and following your gut. And, you know, when there's so much at stake, um, you know, with building a company um, and having a team, it's a really scary thing to, you know, to trust your gut and go with, you know, what you think is right versus what, you know, even a handful of people can say um, in disagreement because they've done it before. And at the end of the day, you've never been alive in this time doing what you're doing. And, you know, you have to remember that. And that's a, that's a tough thing to remember when you're young and naive and <laughs> trying to figure things out. So I would just say expect a lot of bad advice and then... Hmm. You know, and listen to some, but expect to unlearn a lot of it. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so glad you're working on another book because everything you say, I basically want to, like, tattoo onto my arm. (laughs) You have this way of making everything that you're saying sound both really interesting and helpful and universal, but also kind of novel, which is the trick of a writer. So you're working on the follow-up to Girlboss. What can you tell us about Nasty Galaxy before we have to let you go back to writing? I'm so excited. It's so pretty. It's uh, 10 by 10 hardcover, pink linen um, cover, (sighs) and really colorful, big, like, nice, thick paper. Oh, my God. I want that Um, on my coffee table right now. Yeah, there's, like, you know, images of my home, so my house has never been published. There's inspirational quotes. There's a dozen different essays that I wrote, um, really mini essays. There's interviews with 12 different girl bosses. Courtney Love wrote the foreword. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, little bios on different women who I think are interesting from, you know, B-movies and lesser known, like, punk bands. And so it's really just kind of like a romp through my influences and in my, my life some personal, some professional people who inspire me, and it's just it's there's it's illustrations by this amazing illustrator Tuesday Basin. So it's just it's super eclectic um, and really visual. Um, so I'm really excited about it. It's such a completely different book than Girl Boss. It sounds so like sparkly and delicious, and so many of the it's, things you just I, yeah. I can't wait to hold it. Yeah, yeah I can't <laughs> wait to hold it. Um, so when does it come out? Mm. October 4th. October 4th. Um, and you can pre-order it on nastygal.com slash book or on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah. And I am also really excited. I hadn't even realized until you said that, but we have never seen the inside of your pad. And I'm like now dying to see. I can just it's, imagine. I can just imagine. I mean, I like it. I don't know. I'm here right now. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, it's fine. It's fine. There's three poodles. You know, it's like anywhere there's three poodles, you're pretty much fine. <laughs> right. You're pretty much great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sophia. It was so thank great talking to you. Thank you for having me. Have a great time. You too. Yeah. And congrats thank on the you. book. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Our next guest wasn't able to join us live, so we sent her a few questions to ask if she's ever felt like she's arrived. Here is country music icon Dolly Parton. Well, I can't honestly say if there was a particular point in my career where I thought I'd arrived. In my early days, when I first got my first encore when I was a little girl, that's when I thought that I was going to definitely be in show business. But I still don't think I've arrived. I'm still a working girl, and I still never think of myself as a star. got plenty of work to do. What do you think it means to make it? Well, what I think it means to make it is being happy with what you've done. So that's what true success is, is feeling like that you've accomplished what you wanted to and feel good about it and that you're still enjoying it.
How do you maintain your drive to keep working after so many years in the industry? Well, I uh, like to work, and that's why I continue to stay in it because I love the music first and foremost. That was what brought me out of the Smoky Mountains to start with. I love the energy and the love I get from the crowd. I love to accomplish things. I'm very creative and I like to develop things on television shows and just see things come to be. And the theme park, I'm business minded enough to love to get in on all that and see all those things come true. So I just really love just being in this business. I like the music part of it, but I like the business part. That's why they call it the music business. Best and worst advice you've been given in your career? <laughs> Some people ask me that, If I, what's the best and worst advice? I probably, the best advice I've ever got was probably from my mother and saying those old sayings that are so true today, like things like to thine own self be true. Because Mama always said, just be yourself. Just be yourself and be true to what you know you are and what you can do. Be true to your own talent. Don't try to be like somebody else. And the worst advice probably was when Chet Atkins, one of the most famous people in the world who I love like a brother, uh, and one of the greatest you know men all around in addition to his guitar playing. But years ago when I first came to Nashville with all my big hair and all my big makeup, Chet said, Dolly, you're going to need to get rid of all that because people are never going to take you serious if you, you know, look like that. You're just looking too gaudy. So after I became a big star, uh, looking the same way and even worse at that time, Chet came up and said, boy, I'm sure glad you took my good advice. <laughs> so anyway, but it was, uh, you know, he thought he was giving me good advice, but I didn't do it and it still worked out for me. Thank you, Dolly. You guys, check out Dolly's latest album, Pure and Simple. It's out everywhere on August 19th. And if you go to dollyparton.com, you can pre-order it and get two exclusive songs, the album track Outside Your Door and the single Pure and Simple. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. So going straight from Dolly to one of my other favorite things to talk to you guys about, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'm a huge fan of Mack Weldon. They have the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and it's all better than whatever you're wearing right now. Their products are actually specifically designed for men who, as I like to call it, smell the kind of guy that is wearing the same undershirt all day at work. Maybe he lives in New York City and he's commuting on a 90-degree day like today. He comes home and he wants to cuddle, but he's kind of a little bit of that, like, guy smell. Guys always smell. I don't know what that is. But if they wear Mack Weldon products, they are made from premium fabrics that are designed to sort of be naturally odor eliminating. So perfect for the guy you want to cuddle with that you don't want to smell his man smell. They have amazing design. The shopping experience on their site is so 2016. Really, really great. Um, and we are giving a special deal just for you Cosmo podcast listeners. If you go to MacWeldon.com, that's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and use promo code Cosmo, you can get 20% off your order. And they're so sure that you will love the products that they will give you a full refund if you don't like anything and want to return it no questions asked which is actually a great policy when this is like men's underwear we're talking about so not only does mac weldon's underwear socks and shirts look good they perform well too it's great for working out going to work going on dates just everyday life so check it out 
shop for the man in your life that's clueless and still has his mom buy all his underwear for him, he will thank you. Our next guest is a leader in the tech industry. Her app has been downloaded more than 5 million times, including one time by me, and she averages about 30,000 downloads daily. Please welcome Whitney Wolf, the CEO and founder of Bumble. Hi, Whitney. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. And where are you calling in from today? Are you, You're on the East Coast, I- right? I'm calling in from Austin, Texas. Oh, tech capital of the world? No, not tech. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting there. Yeah. It's, it's inching its way up there. Do you live in Austin? I do. Yeah, oh, I do. I've, for so some reason, I thought you were in New Yorker. No, unfortunately, I do love New York. I wish I could spend more time there, but we are headquartered in Austin, so breakfast tacos for all. <laughs> breakfast tacos for all. Oh my gosh, I want that right now. So <laughs> what made you want to get into the tech industry, Whitney, which of course we all know is dominated by misogynistic men? <laughs> well, um, interestingly enough, you know, I, I didn't really intend on getting into the tech industry uh, necessarily. It was like many things in life. If you speak to most people at wherever they are today, um, you know, they didn't go and apply for their dream job and just call it a day after that. It's an evolution and things kind of um, evolve and and lead you into different, you know, paths. So what happened with me was I was um, looking for a job after doing some traveling and volunteering hearing after college and I was pretty much like every other college grad um, lost confused scared same, um, but same. I was extremely eager determined and extremely um, ambitious and I knew that I wanted to you know I, w- I had big ambitious goals for the future and I knew that I had um, you know definitely had a five-year plan and and I wasn't lost in the sense of not knowing what I wanted I was lost in the sense of trying to find the opportunity and so I was fortunate enough to kind of stumble into um, opportunity with my first job at a tech incubator and it was funny because it was at that funny time um, where you know young women were very much expected to graduate and go work for a for a magazine, work for a fashion company, work for a designer. Sure. Um, do Those were the aspirational very, sort of jobs yeah, for women. Very aspirational, you know. It the dream was to do something in a very kind of female focused industry. That that was the emphasis, um, as far as I, I had felt um with, you know, my peers at, at college and everything. And so when this job at this tech incubator presented itself, you know, a lot of my girlfriends were kind of turned off to it. They were, they were kind of um, confused as to why I would want to do that. You know, like uh, it was almost a, a nose in the air type of situation and reaction because it was not what it is today, right? Right. So I kind of took a leap of faith and said, you know, I think it's interesting. I think the opportunity is huge with tech. And, and I had just come home from being in Asia. And while I was in Asia for a few months, um, I had done some volunteering in orphanages. And I remember thinking how limited my reach was when I was there, just me and the people in that in that orphanage. Right. And when you think about reach, really the only way to extend that is technology. Right. And so it's a great, it's a great gateway to um, pursue something that you're passionate about and 
really there's no other opportunity in the world that gives you reach the way technology does. So, so that was always very interesting to me. But to kind of answer your original question, and sorry for <laughs> babbling on. No, babble but, forever. Um, it, it was accidental, and it was it was really not um, dreamy in the beginning, if that makes right. sense. Right. Well, I think I love the idea of it not being dreamy in the beginning, but I, I feel like there was also something you said that kind of struck a chord with me because I hear this from a lot of successful women, and of course you're in that category, which is that people people were sort of like, why are you doing this? Like this moment of like, why are you making that choice? And I actually feel like it's so interesting how many successful women will say that their career started in a place of everyone being like, why though? Yeah. Oh, of course. I mean, I remember, um, you know, well into our marketing of, of the first app I was involved with, um, you know, people really turned turned their shoulder to me. They they thought it was bizarre. You know, all of all of these girls that I graduated with, um, young women I had graduated with, were having these really kind of dreamy careers. You know, they were working at these really cool fashion houses or mm-hmm. really awesome, um, very you know, beauty companies. All of these things that women have always been programmed to think were um, the ideal you know job for woman and here I was working with you know a team of coders and pretty much all men except for you know let's see at the time we started tinder it was myself it was um a young woman who was um an intern in the beginning but she did grow into a full-time role she was very much there at the beginning of tinder as well and really um like an outsourced PR woman so we didn't work and aside from, you know, um, you know, kind of these come and go women hires. Right. And it was fascinating because it it was not desirable to the outside world. I, I never heard a young woman back then say, wow, you've got the coolest job or how do right. I get a job like that? It was actually kind of um, the opposite. And it's, it's been really interesting to see how I think the media has been a huge catalyst in changing that kind of in calling it out right. the way it was and kind of changing the opinion and, and letting it be okay for women to find that desirable. Um, and so it's been interesting to see it evolve. Right. I. This is a bit of a sidebar from our conversation, but I can't help thinking about this as you're talking, which is that, you know, I think it's so important to, you know, as part of the media to have the conversation about women in tech and like Whitney, you've been such a friend to Cosmo, you know, in the past and we've done a lot with you. And, but you know, one thing that I think has been, I'm getting personal here. One thing that has made it a little difficult for a brand like Cosmo to talk about women in tech is that I sometimes see with some of our younger readers, they are almost haven't experienced sexism in their own lives so they don't really care about it it's almost like they feel like I noticed that as being someone in my 30s that feels like a generational divide between you know sometimes our interns who are in their 20s and they're just sort of like I don't get it I think we're even seeing that play out a little you know in this election climate where some young people haven't felt excited about the idea of Hillary Clinton you know potentially hopefully being the first female president and you know are you it's almost like you've kind of been there as this has all evolved like you were there at the moment when it was like there were no women in tech you've been there as over the last several years it has started to finally be something that people are recognizing as important that we're seeing high profile companies commit to it but then almost like this younger generation being like, don't get it, don't care. Does that make any sense? It's really, I mean, you've kind of struck a really interesting chord there because I'm a firm believer that, you know, 
pretty much everything people are interested in. And this is, here's my marketing jargon, but this is just me being so marketing centric the last few years. Um, I mean, essentially that, that is my career. It's based off of, you know, taking content and broadcasting that to get a message out there. Right. Sure. Um, and what I've learned is that we genuinely human beings operate day to day based on what we are you know, shown what we are, what we are told. So if you look at the cover of magazines, which has been a traditional, you know, catalyst to what women care about, what they love. I mean, look at Cosmo, it's iconic. It's, it's what women grow up, um, you know, aspiring to be not just one day, but every day, you know, Mm -hmm. you see it at the grocery store, you see it at the airport. This is in your face. This is something that we aspire to be. And, and tech has never been, um, sexy or high, high fashion has never been broadcasted in, in that way. It has only ever been broadcasted in the likes of Silicon Valley, the, the TV show, right. you know, it's even interesting to see current, you know, going into 2017 tech is still tech. It's, it's not the cover of a magazine. It's right. not, um, you know, and it's, it's starting to evolve a bit. You know, we look at the Met Gala last year, the, the tech theme, but it's almost, um, it's almost like a theme party. It's almost like a Western cowboy bar right. coming out of Disneyland. Like, it's not there yet. You know, it, it almost gets trendy for five seconds, and then it's back to the status quo. And I really think, like, the point you just made comes from the way we're marketed to and even the way we're taught. I mean, I can't tell you. Um, you know, I have young cousins, and I, I see a lot of young kids. A lot of my girlfriends have have two, three, four-year-olds now, and um, even the way these young babies are programmed at school, you know, boys do this and right. girls do that, it is not changing. And it's funny how everyone kind of makes this big scuffle about, well, we need to, you know, hire more women in tech and we need to be more inclusive in the office. Why are we not being inclusive in the classroom? Because there's right. 18 years of education at minimum right. that happens before you even enter an office in most cases. Right. And 18 years of mapping, of programming, of training these young minds in how they think, feel, and assume and perceive. How are we going to change that at the office when really it needs to be changed way before. Right. Um, and it will be really interesting to see if there's any movement there. So, you know, I, I really don't advocate for, you know, changes in the workforce as much as I would advocate changes in education. Yeah. Changes, and changes in nursery in school. Marketing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All it's a it. really good point. My, this is a quick aside, but my sister is a kindergarten teacher and she had said during the like height of frozen, which I think actually we might still be at the height of frozen, <laughs> but I was like, are your little kidlets all obsessed with let it go? And she was saying that there's some other song that I'm too old to know about. That's from the Lego movie. And she was basically oh like, yeah. And she was like, well, I play the song from the Lego movie because some of the boys like Frozen, but they like don't necessarily think it's cool to sing the Frozen songs, but the girls are fine singing the like Lego song. And I was like, oh God, oh, it's wow. continuing. It's continuing. Let it go, boys. No, no, no. You it, know? It, it, listen, it's, I'm telling you that I'm on the same page as you. If people want to take a lesson in gender dynamics, they really should go be a substitute teacher yeah. at an elementary school for a day. Yeah. I think that's a way more powerful launching pad than, than being 22 years old 
entering a workforce, you know? Um, and maybe that can be your next app substitute teacher for a day. (laughs) There you go. Perfect. Yeah. Get get teamed up with a a local school to go get schooled in gender dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, but you know, it's, it's really interesting. And, and you made a really interesting point earlier. You know, I, not like I have a PhD in, in any of this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm as naive and, and as inexperienced as anybody and I'm learning every day and I'm trying my best and I, I'm no expert in anything. And, you know, I fall short in a lot of categories. And the funniest thing for me over the years has been kind of slapping myself on the wrist, looking back at how I myself participated in misogynistic behavior in the past. You know, Mm -hmm. I said ugly things about girls because that's what boys did. And I wanted to fit in and I wanted to be cool. And, you know, when a boy calls a girl a mean name, you don't want to be called that name. So you participate in that behavior in hopes of never being called that name. Right. 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 Like if you laugh, then you're safe. Yeah, like it's it's make you know it's going along with the the joke you know is wrong, and I did that way too many times, and you know I've been guilty of of all sorts of of you know ugly behavior, and it was never because you know I'm a bad person. It was because that's what society teaches you to do, right? And you know people want to fit in. I you know I think we've all been insecure, um, and I think you know it's something that we all will struggle with forever. I still feel insecure today uh, when a lot of people are like wow how did you do it how did you make it and I still wake up feeling like you know super insecure all the time and so I think it's just something we all struggle with I feel like I'm basically on every episode of the podcast try to find a moment to talk about imposter syndrome which is you know kind of what you're getting at but it is so common for women even women like you that are objectively so successful it's so hard to ever get rid of that feeling of like well it's not enough or it could be more or I should be younger or I should be making more money or there should be more press around this or this could have been better like it's really 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 hard for even the most successful women in the world I think to quiet those messages which is oh it is which is why it's great to be able to have this conversation with you on the phone that we will eventually broadcast to millions and millions of people so that everyone (laughs) out there will know that they're not alone yeah no and you know it's funny because I you know I'm a firm believer that you know you know if I'm fortunate enough to continue on a path that goes well and if Bumble continues to grow and our team grows and you know millions of more people join the app I just want everybody to realize that you know you if you become successful it doesn't take away those feelings right Mm. it's okay to feel that way everyone is human at the end of the day doesn't matter if you're bill gates or if you're you know been kicked out of your parents house and have five dollars to your name it just doesn't matter who you are at the end of the day we're all humans and i think that's pretty much the the biggest learning lesson I've I've kind of come to realize and over the last few years of course I've been involved in lots of media some terrible some great some factually completely inaccurate some <laughs> way more flattering than it should be I mean it's funny to see these stories evolve around me but when I break it down I'm still just that girl that you know still is scared and trying to figure out what to do tomorrow right um and so I think you're right on the imposter syndrome I I wake up some days or, you know, I was walking onto the daily show and I was like, I don't think they have the right person. I don't know if I should be here. Are they right. sure it's me? Like, right. was this all I a in mistake? the wrong place? Yeah. yeah like it, it's this really funny, um, kind of, yeah, it's a syndrome. I, I, I think it's a syndrome that everyone, unless you're 
a clinical sociopath or right. something. I think everyone <laughs> felt that way at some point, you know? <laughs> Wait, I actually sort of love that. It's like, it's normal to feel this way. Because if I didn't, that would make me a sociopath. No, That's a good way to talk to me out. don't feel insecure and scared <laughs> and confused at times, then They're crazy. They, they might be experiencing something much worse. <laughs> have you found, besides reminding yourself that, thank God, you're not a sociopath, have you found that there's anything that pulls you out of those moments or when you do have that voice in your head? Because, you know, that we all feel that way and usually it's a passing thing, but sometimes it can be dangerous. Sometimes you can feel so... Honestly, yeah. gratitude is... Gratitude is the one word I would encourage everyone to live by because when you take yourself out of a moment and you look around and you realize you're standing on your two legs and that you're breathing air and that you're in, under shelter and that, you know, you can count all your toes and fingers and just those things that right. you have that we take such advantage of, um, that's, that's the one word that I, I truly try to live by. And I just try to be grateful for everything. And, and then, you know, when you start appreciating, you know, the, the things that really count health, family, friends, the fact that we were, you know, and I, I know that you have listeners from all over the world, but the fact that, you know, I'm in America, I'm safe. I have a road to drive on. Right. That's where you start to really then say, wow, I'm so fortunate that I get to um, do a job I love every day and that it supports me and it supports a team that I get to employ. I mean, that's really where that, um, you know, that's really where the, the mantras begin to change. Right, right. No, that's so important. And one of the first people we talked to on today's episode is Chelsea Briggs, who's an entertainment host. And she was saying, you know, my job gets so crazy. And sometimes when I'm on the red carpet at the AMAs, I just have to take a second and say, like, isn't this cool? Which is sort of yeah. the more shallow version of what you're saying. But the same <laughs> idea of just like reminding ourselves to be grateful for all the amazing things no, in our lives. It's really cool. And it's funny because um, time flies, right? And it, it's it's one of those things where when you're in high school and college, time goes by like snail speed. Right. Um, but now, you know, I blink and it's next year. And um, it's just really unbelievable to, unbelievable to me that, you know, I just had my 27th birthday, 27. That is, that's only five years after graduating from college. Right. And, and I can say, wow, look at all these things I've accomplished. And not just me. It's not about me. It's about the lives that what I've been involved with have touched. You know, there's people getting married. There are, um, what's even more exciting than the dating component of Bumble to me is, you know, there is an article in the, in the Houston Tribune. I mean, Houston, a city I live in. I have nothing to do with this city. And it was a huge article about how Houston women are forming their social circles and their book clubs and their their activities all because of Bumble BFF. I mean, they're oh actual droves me of chills. women that are, are having calendars of activities and, and having lives beyond just, you know, these horrible first dates maybe or, right. um, you know, this dating culture. And we're really tapping into relationships at large. You know, it's friend culture, it's networking culture. And I really want to put an emphasis on that because I think as young women in America, the minute you start college, there's huge focus on sex, on dating, on hookups, on, you know, he's a jerk or she's a bitch or these horrible words, you know, that right. you know, women need to stop calling each other bitches and men need to stop calling them that as well. And I just think that as we encourage positive friendships and positive relationships, um, that to me is like my, how I quantify success, right? right. It's not about money. It's not about 
um, how many media hits you get. It's how many lives you're touching right. in a positive way. And that's what tech is to me, you know, at the end of the day. Right. And I think the friendship angle there is so important. Like we hear that from readers all the time. Like I just graduated and moved to a new city and it's so hard to make friends. And, you know, even just the idea of putting that out there as a narrative, like this is an option in your life that can be about having a fulfilling and exciting and full life that isn't necessarily about like finding a man, even though I totally right. want to find a man, but you know, just saying, Listen, but you want to find a man and then you need a group of girlfriends to go cry about it or laugh sure. about it with the next day. For sure. And that's where, um, you know, that's where that value add comes in because I think as human beings, as we transition out of one, you know, environment into another moving for work or school or whatever it is, we are lonely, inherently lonely creatures. Right. Mm. And so often that we try to fill that loneliness with with a man as as a you know heterosexual woman and if we can try to fulfill that loneliness with with other relationships that do good for us i think that will be a really interesting kind of shift in culture and by the way excuse my french for using the b word earlier oh girl in context we're just having a little chat. yeah just having a, just having a little chat that millions of people will listen to <laughs> well thank you so, so much whitney sorry, so listeners. yeah no it totally no i hear you but made sense in the context of what you're saying but um Whitney thank you so much it's always such a pleasure to talk to you and as I said earlier you've been a great friend to us at Cosmo so we always love getting oh, the chance well, to catch I up with you I just love all of you over at Cosmo and you are all total girl bosses and <laughs> I just thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this thank you talk to you soon thank you take care bye bye welcome to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it our next guest is a hugely successful fashion designer who actually made the purse that I literally have in the office with me right now. She does everything from luxury handbags to accessories to footwear and apparel, and she's now turned that into a global lifestyle brand. Thank you so much for calling Rebecca Minkoff. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. And I was not kidding about having your bag with me right now, which I carry every day. So just happened to, of course, have with me now. <laughs> awesome. Love hearing that. <laughs> so, you know, we've been talking all day today on the podcast about this idea of career centered around women in their 20s and 30s and what does success mean you know what does it really feel like how do you even know if you're successful what if you are successful but you don't feel that way so to just dive right in you know what is the sort of scariest risk that you feel like you've taken in your career I think um, there's been many scary ones. Each day bring new ones. Um, I'd say getting started is definitely a risk uh, that was very scary, but I sort of felt like I had nothing to lose. So uh, having nothing to lose was, you know, less scary than, you know, risking everything, I guess, in a way. Um, I think when we decided to you know, take the path not taken by working with bloggers when they were considered dirty or talking to my customer, which was considered like low life activities, you know, a couple of years ago. And I think taking those risks and knowing that we weren't, um, we were going to be democratic and and inclusive of our consumer was very scary because it, it could have been a death sentence, but it was, you know, the greatest single thing we could have done. And I think that's actually, I'm so glad you brought up those examples because we have listeners from all around the country and they aren't necessarily like super familiar with like the way the fashion industry in New York can be so sort of, um, 
what would you say? Uh, there's not always... Um, there's not always a diversity of opinions of uh, about the right way to do things. I think there tends to be some rules of what it means in the fashion industry. And so did you feel like when you were starting off that you were comparing yourselves to you were comparing yourself to others and feeling like, you know, how did you sort of avoid that feeling of comparison? I think that because I started in such a unique place that, you know, I moved here with nothing, I lived in my fifth floor walk up, I didn't have a handout, you know, given to me, you know, everything that either I made happen or really honestly girlfriends made happen for me um, to help me get to where I was. I think that um, I couldn't compare myself with other people who were deemed, you know, the most talented by a certain editor-in-chief or brought into the Cool Kids Club. So I think I just had to keep always innovating and making my own path because to compare myself to other people in other situations doesn't usually help. I think you can look to people to get educated and see what they did that's right or wrong. But comparing yourself, you know, it's like comparing, you know, if you compare yourself to a model, you'll just be upset all day. Right. Right, right. So you've had all these huge moments in your career with the I Love New York tea and then the morning after bag to the ready to wear collections. And now obviously you've got this huge brand that our readers know worldwide and are obsessed with. Was there a moment when you really felt like I've arrived? Was there a moment when it sort of felt real? I think there are a couple of signal moments, each one feeling real when it happened. Um, you know, when I got my first order from a, uh, Bloomingdale's, that was the first department store that you know, it felt real then. I think it felt extremely real when we opened our flagship on Green Street. Um, and, you know, it feels even more real today when we have a store in L.A. We're opening one in Chicago. Uh, and then I'm going to Dubai for a store opening in um, October. So all those moments, you're like, oh, it's real. That is so exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the things that we've also been discussing in the course of this episode of having the chance to talk to all these amazing, successful women is that the thing that is hard about these moments where you do feel like, wow, this is real, I've arrived, is that as soon as that happens, it kind of ups the stakes you know how do you does that feel exciting to you or does it ever feel like a little I don't know overwhelming and endless you know as soon as you achieve one career milestone it's sort of you're already immediately on to the next I think that's part of being entrepreneur and I think that's part of you know constantly growing your brand or or achieving your dream I think I always look at goals as mirages and the minute I achieve it it's like okay next you know it's further and further out right um I think at least in our industry and I don't know many you cannot stay stagnant um and you cannot rest and say okay now I've made it life is easy because um, there's always someone who's far hungrier than you mm-hmm. um, that, you know, has a bigger dream and you sort of have to keep up with the race. Right. Um, Do you feel that after a certain level of success, things got easier or harder? Um, I think that they've gotten, in some cases, easier. Um, you know, doors I would wish would open for me sometimes will open far easier than, you know, when I'm first saying, hey, I'm a designer, Rebecca Minkoff, will you take a meeting? I think those days are obviously much easier, but I think it's gotten harder in that, you know, we have 120 plus staff. Uh, the, the amount of moving parts in the machine are bigger and more complicated than ever. You know, one mistake can mean millions of dollars in, you know, lost sales. So I think um, there, there's two sides to it. There's a blessing in that, you know, certain things you strive for as always being difficult are now like, oh, that was easy. I just picked up the phone and called Joanna Coles or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> and we had drinks. 
uh, or you know, or oh no, someone forgot to add in this bag, you know, to the buy, and we just you know missed our plan. So I think it it's a it's a two way street. Right, right, right. The pressure only gets bigger and bigger and bigger, even as the rewards, I guess, also do. Correct. Have you ever been given any terrible advice in your career? Um, tons. <laughs> You're like just this morning. No. <laughs> uh, just last night. Um, <laughs> let's see. Everything from don't talk to your customer, don't work with bloggers, they're C-list, um, to you know, social media is going to be the death of your brand. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, what else? You should, you know, spend a majority of your budget hiring the best model, the best photographer, and the most fancy stylist, and pay the most money for advertisements. Um, I think, obviously, that's very focused on, you know, in the fashion industry, type of things that you might get advice to do, Um, but that's what I can think of at the moment. Yeah, and so how did you know not to listen to that? Like, is that just a, like pure gut instinct? I think my co-founder, who's my brother and I, have always felt like, and it was made, it was sort of um, blanking on the word, but, you know, someone kind of pointed out to us, and it was our Oprah aha moment, was whenever we take the road less traveled or the road we haven't thought of, that's where we win as a brand. Mm. Um, And so... From that point on, when he pointed that out, he he cited some key examples of when we've done that, how we've won. It sort of just became, you know what? We can take a decision and hold on to it and free fall in a way and know that it's going to turn out okay. Right. And I think that the industry has come to expect that we'll try things first. Uh, We'll experiment. You know, we're not too... Um, stuck on our own ego that we don't want to, you know, if we fail, okay, you know, we failed, we tried something new. Um, So I think we're willing to take those risks and that has always worked for us. And I think today for other people looking to take their next career steps, it's never been easier, uh, I think, to start a company or to launch e-commerce or to become a blogger or a stylist because um, social media has sort of broken down the barriers to be able to do that. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, the other thread of this episode that we've been talking about is sort of the idea of, you know, being objectively successful and having an amazing sparkly career, of course, is not the same thing as being happy at work. Um, You know, what's your advice on how to find happiness at work? I think it's many things. I think uh, having great associates and coworkers, um, you know, your environment will be only as good as the team that you have. Um, and I think setting goals and not being afraid to go above and beyond or go out of your box. I think one thing we like to do here is encourage people not to just, you know, um, say, oh, you only work in pitching apparel, so you can never pitch a podcast. Right. Um, or, you know, or you're in handbags, but you could never have a good fashion show idea. I think we want to encourage basically miniature entrepreneurs within the organization. Right. Um, and then I think when you're doing things that you never thought you could do and learning new skills that you didn't know you could learn, I think that that's a great morale booster. So whether you have your own company or you work for others, I think just, you know, be your own entrepreneur within your area and, and take risks. 
because you never know when they're going to pay off. You definitely seem like the kind of girl boss that you would love if an employee came to you and said like, oh, I just had this idea and I wrote some things up about it. And what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Um, yes, I do like, I do like that. I feel weird. Like saying, yes, I am that kind of boss. (laughs) That was my hesitation. I was like, do I say yes? (laughs) Own it. (laughs) It's fine. Um, so one last thing, and then I know I have to let you go back to running your global empire, but, um, I just feel like it's so interesting because I feel like, you know, this idea of success and sort of arriving, I think for a lot of our readers, that sort of is like that first handbag purchase, you know, like I think that's sort of a rite of passage when you get your first like grown up job and like being able to buy that bag for yourself. And oftentimes that's a Rebecca Mingoff bag. Do you ever sort of, I don't even know what my question here is, but do you ever sort of think about that sort of cycle of success of like you running this company that for some girl out there is buying this with her own money and that is kind of her symbol that she's made it um i think that we as a brand love talking about these first experiences and these first moments that are so pivotal to really anyone but obviously i'm I'm focusing on women Mm -hmm. and i think it's also the unexpected first you know it is your first job and your first interview but it's also the first time you decided to break up with the guy or the first time you decided to like leave him before he left you yeah um and i think it's those empowering moments that as a brand you'll see a lot more from us coming out in our context that we want you you know we want to be that brand that makes you feel very powerful in those moments of taking a risk right right um so i think that that's you know it's highlighting those risks that you know might seem scary and like you got your bag on you feel good so you're just like yeah i got this right i actually love that and i'm like i am not gonna wait till i have a new job to buy myself another bag i will just wait till i get dumped (laughs) just kidding i know that's not what you're saying but i I love that message That's awesome. Well, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I appreciate it so much. And you've always been such a great friend to Cosmos. We love getting the chance to catch up with you. Well, thank you. And I'm excited to um, be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You know our next guest from her huge hit that's been certified three times platinum, Fight Song. She's a singer-songwriter and her latest album, Better Places, on iTunes now. Hi, Rachel Platten. Hey, how you doing? Good. Um, I have to say, I have all these questions I want to ask you, but I, you know, you have done so much with the Cosmo brand and I saw you perform at our Fun Fearless Live conference last year and I just literally cried. You're so good. You're so good. Oh, I'm sorry for making you cry. I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you. That, that's very sweet. Well, yes, crying in a happy way, but you know, like... You know, I think there's always kind of a bit of skepticism of like these songs that everyone hears on the radio and you never know when you see someone perform live if they're going to live up to it. And you were just so incredible. I think everyone in the room was probably actually crying. So that was a really special moment for me. I just wanted to start with that. You know, I loved that performance, actually. I loved getting to perform um, really stripped down. It was how I started. It was kind of how I grew up playing. So like that performance for everyone who doesn't know wasn't there. It was just piano it was just piano and then my drummer was like on a little mini drum kit right very intimate. and it's our it's yeah it's like our favorite way to perform just kind of chill sitting at a piano so your story is super inspiring because before you were performing at fun fearless life and having a song that everyone knows all the words to you know you were really trying to make your mark in the indus- the music industry for years until you got your break so i mean there must have been points where you just felt like giving up yeah, there were there were definitely a lot of points like that. I had um I don't know, I had like 
moments after playing a gig from 1 a.m. to 4 a.m. and I was mm-hmm. carrying my piano. It was like 85 pounds. I'd carry this keyboard back up my fifth floor walk up in the village. Right. And those moments were tough. You know, I'd be like, oh, I just need $100, like barely enough to cover my rent. And um, There were some tough moments, but also there were some incredible moments mixed in with all of that stuff. Like, even when I played at 10 people at a bar, there were always parts of the night that were so incredibly fun that made me remember, like, I loved, I love what I get to do. Even if it's to just a small crowd, I loved this. Right, right, right. And so those are kind of the moments that made the 4 a.m. piano halls feel a little more worthwhile, I guess. Yeah, and they were all mixed in. Like, it was kind of like there would be some sadness and, and of course there'd be regrets and like I, I had a lot of rejections in the industry but then also I had a very strong inner compass of like no 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 I, I get to do what I love and I had an amazing network of friends and we always said like the party's on stage so we'd play these like tons of places around the village in New York City and um and we would literally have a party at night and it like the whole bar would like some nights not every night some nights it was like people clapping for a game that was on but some nights the whole the whole bar would light up and like people would be standing in their seats and and I'd be playing covers and I would leave that that tiny little bar feeling like I am so lucky I am such a star right <laughs> like five people right 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 I'm a star to five people um so I yeah. know something you've talked a lot about and that has sort of been a part of your story is the idea that you are in your 30s and you know we're so used to our pop stars being like you know 14 years old whatever but I have mixed feelings even asking you about this because on one hand you know it isn't it is amazing that as sort of like I guess, a non-traditional pop star, you have found this amazing success. That's so amazing. On the other hand, it kind of feels ridiculous that, I mean, you're in your 30s. It's not like you're 95, you know? Like, you're not actually old. So it's sometimes weird, I think, to be like Rachel Platten, the old pop star. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, thank you. I'm glad that you don't think I'm the I, people always get surprised when they learn my age. I, um, but I don't know. I both respect younger performers. I think it's wonderful, and and it would have been great to have made it when I was fifteen. But then again, at fifteen, I was like math homework. Boo! Right. Like I had no idea I wanted to do this with my life until I was twenty and I was in college. So um, I kind of came to it late, and I'm proud of the resilience and and the determination it took to stick with it for 13 years like that was that was tough but it also really taught me how to be grounded like now that now that I'm here now that people um care who I am a little bit I know who I am I'm not swayed so much by the attention like I'm pretty rooted I'm a woman I I know who I am and and um I don't know if it would have worked like that if I was younger. I don't know how women do it when they're younger. I think that's, it's incredible. And I admire them if they're able to keep their inner compass. Right. And same. And I can say that I'm, I'm 32. So I just look back at my entire life in my twenties and I'm like, lol, I had no idea what, no idea what I was doing. Oh my God. No (laughs) idea. No idea. No, dude. I, God, I made so many mistakes, and I was so con- I was so sad all the time, like just so sad. I think I, I hadn't yet figured out these things that I know now, which are these tools to make me know who I am and feel good every day. And I and I work really hard to have the outlook that I have, but right. it took me like ten years of being lost to figure out, like, no, you can't just wake up and throw yourself into a day and assume that things are going to go well. Like, I meditate, I do yoga, I write in a journal. I say affirmations. I work on music. Like I do all these things to set myself up to ensure that I'm on the right path. Right. Because then 
you can, like my manager and I don't know if you guys know Andy Grammer is he right yeah. keep your head up and, and honey I'm good he's my best friend in the industry and we have the same manager and we talk about writing songs which we're both doing now as like unicorn hunting and we say you can't even go out to hunt a unicorn if you're not 100% good right like forget about even trying to catch one right so you have to get yourself in such a good place and it takes so much strength and like so much guidance that I definitely didn't have when I was in my 20s. Right. I have no idea how to do that stuff. Well, I think that's so interesting and I'm like piecing this all together in my mind as you're talking because, you know, I think there's this whole joke about the like, I woke up like this that's always applied to like, you know, I woke up like this and it's like the hair, the whatever. But like, you're kind of talking about the like, I woke up like this, like mental edition. You know, the idea that you don't necessarily start each day being like, I'm ready to write a hit song and go on tour today. I love that. Or sing fight song. Or sing encouraging songs and people ask me all the time like how are you so happy how are you so like encouraging and um, it takes a lot of work it right. takes a lot of work you did not wake up like this <laughs> no I love that I love that <laughs> no I did not literally this morning my, my grandmother passed away a couple days ago and, and literally this so morning sorry, I woke up Rachel. thank you so much and I woke up this morning very sad like one of those terrible dreams where you like dream about them and, and then I was like okay I'm not going to get out of bed until I feel good so I did this I'm such a hippie. I did this like 40 minute healing meditation and I feel great. I woke up like, okay, I, you know, like put good energy in my body. I'm like ready to go. Right. Right. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so you have had a couple of big hits on your hands with fight songs, stand by you. Um, has there been a moment in your career that you really felt like you arrived? Oh man, there's, um, been some really special ones this year. I think getting handed a, plaque it was I hope it doesn't sound too braggy is for girl brag away triple, triple. <laughs> <laughs> it was for fight song being triple platinum and and um that was pretty crazy I think I like processed what that meant my album was gold and my label did a little surprise party for me and handed me these plaques and I had had moments where um when I had visualized what I hoped would happen that was one of the moments I visualized, like being handed a plaque from a major label, which is so impossible a year and a half ago. I was, yeah. you know, doing house concerts to 20 people. So there's one of those. And then being on my tour bus earlier this year, I, I had been in my mom's car driving around. So like sitting on my tour bus and looking around, I was like, dude, I have totally made it. Um, I don't know. And then playing, seeing the audiences grow. I'm now like, an audience will now sing all the words throughout the hour concert. And yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, there's been a bunch of little little, mo- little moments that I try not to take for granted. So, real talk, are you ever going to do one of the things where you dress up as someone else and go to karaoke and sing your own songs and there's a viral <laughs> video about it? <laughs> that's you what know, I would do I would if I were you. <laughs> No, I'm not beyond it. I'm not gonna like pretend that I'm too cool. I was in I was in New York City doing a show a couple months ago, and my band and I were walking back from somewhere, and, and uh, we were like, "Dude, we should go into the karaoke place and see if they have fight song, and you should sing it." I was like, "Yeah, let's totally do it." And then we went in like all hyped, and they didn't have it. I was like, "No, I'm not that cool." <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. That is hilarious and actually also unbelievable, but hilarious all the same. It's and I so, guess a good it's moment. It's so embarrassing being... that I was like totally down to like be like, I'm so cool. I'm not even going to let them know it's me. And they were like, we don't even know what song that is. Nice try. <laughs> yeah. Womp womp. Do you, I always yeah. wonder this when I talk to performers though. Do you ever like, 
I mean, like, I feel like you're kind of going to say, I never get over it. It's special over time. But, like, do you ever feel sick of hearing it? Like, if it comes on when you're in the car, are you ever like, mm, next? Like, I don't want to say, yeah. well, no. I wish, <laughs> I wish that I could, like, be cool and be like, yeah, dude. But yeah. it's still so new. It's only been a year and a half. And yeah. It took so long. And, no, it's still cool. Although, it is embarrassing if I'm in a car and it's like, in a taxi or something or in a situation that I really don't want to be like called out right and a friend will be like <laughs> <"Sing a song." laughs> then I'm like okay let's just turn the channel let's turn the channel please <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, do you feel like, you know, and you're putting that in perspective about it only being a year and a half, like your life has happened so fast. It's crazy. I feel like you've been around forever. Um, do you feel like in the last year and a half, like since getting your big break and since all the successes that have come to you, are things getting easier or they're just like different kinds of problems? Well, that's a great question. Um, a lot has gotten easier. The travel's gotten a lot easier because I can travel in an easier way now that, you know, makes yeah. it more comfortable and, um, you know, money obviously makes some things easier. Yeah. Um, I'm not living in like a tiny walk up and I'm comfortable in a beautiful place. And, um, I'm able to, uh, my husband's starting a restaurant and, and because that's because of my success. So that's cool. And, um, I'm able to pay my, my people more and I have more people on my team. And so a lot of that is easier. And then, and then at the same time, a lot gets harder because there's a lot of people that rely on you. And so if I'm sad, like this week, you know, something sad happened and I had to cancel a show, that impacts a lot of people. It impacts thousands of people who are going to go. It impacts my team that was going to commission it. It's hard. So there's pressure and there's also kind of both. I have always wondered that about people that do what you do on the scale that you do it. Like you, it's hard for you to ever get sick. It's hard for you to ever have anything happen to you. Oh, there was a really great um, New York Times article, I think, that went around, a lot of us kind of sent around to each other artists. And it was talking about Taylor and saying like, you know, or Ariana maybe, and it was like saying like, um, millions and millions of dollars rely on a tiny little instrument, a tiny little instrument in your body. Right. These little vocal cords, which are so fragile. They're like, if you look at them under a microscope, I'm a huge dork about like my vocal cords. And yeah. Safety. Um, there are these tiny little things that millions of dollars rely on. And if they go out, everyone <laughs> doesn't work. So oh it is pretty nuts. I feel real nervous just hearing you talk about that. <laughs> I know. But again, it takes, um, I've actually given a lot of my singer friends like advice because I had a little node on my vocal cord. And oh my God. It's perfect. Surgery. A lot of people have had to, a lot of had, had to get surgery. And I, I'm like, told you before, I'm like, I'm major hippie. So I was like, no dude, I can heal this on my own. So I learned a lot about how to do that. And I worked really hard and now I, kind of give advice to these singers when they're when they're hurting about how to heal themselves absolutely i also love what you said about your like it was this article a lot of the artists were sharing like i'm just imagining like a secret group text where all the industry <laughs> secrets are exchanged <laughs> no we, we do we do talk a lot like it's very nice i'm i've always had a lot of girlfriends and i really love women i'm just like huge like go girl power yeah um but so we're not on a great group text, but I I do do a lot of like sharing, and I have a couple of friends who are, you know, have a lot of clout in the industry, and they love women too, and so we try to we try to get together and support each other. It's really nice. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like you know any industry you're in, you just happen to be in a really high profile one. But any industry you're in, it's like you want to 
you know, get together, <laughs> like, you know, complain yeah, you about your bosses and right, talk about work. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's really important. Also, you know, I think what we've found is that a lot of the um, musicians who work for artists talk a lot about and compare notes and compare salaries and compare situations, but artists haven't really known to do that. So now lately I'm finding there's more of a conversation with um, artists to artists, like, hey, what are you paying these, these people? Right. Um, how, is, how is your team structured? How's your management company structured? Like, how is your label structured? You know, it's just, it's interesting to share information and it, and it only helps. That is, I feel like, especially at this moment in the music industry, and, and not even this moment, because I feel like there's always been that sort of reputation of, like, the shady side of the music industry. But, you know, I think of the, as there have been sort of more... Um, you know, this rise in people like you and female stars who are really owning their careers and making decisions and kind Mm. of being their own bosses in a way that maybe wasn't Mm. as common a decade ago or whatever it was, you know, that the sort of business logistics of that, I think that's a really interesting point that I haven't thought about, you know, like there are so few people that do what you do on your scale that you need to be talking, you know, you need Taylor Swift to tell you like X, Y, and Z things that she's learned about contracts Mm -hmm. or about payment structures or about managing things because there's no real other way to figure that out. No, I feel like I'm making a lot of it up as I go. I've, I read um, I read um, Nasty Gal or Sophia's book. Yeah, Sophia and was on Girl the Boss. podcast earlier. <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw her name on the thing and I read her book Girl Boss early on when I was starting to try to figure out how do I be a girl boss? Like, how do I, how do I handle this? How do I handle the position of power that maybe one might make some men uncomfortable? Like, how do I handle this? Because I really am the boss of all this. Right. And it was, and it it was an adjustment, like owning up to, you know, the fact that I am intelligent. I can be in charge of this. I don't have to rely on people. I can learn information and then ask questions and then make the decision next time on my own, like after gathering information. So, um, I loved, you know, I love reading about, women that kind of own <laughs> own up to their power and own up to taking control and, and not afraid of that. So I am going to force you to be not afraid of that. Will you just like end this before we have to let you go? Will you just say something like totally delicious and braggy about yourself? Like something so insane <laughs> that you're so insanely proud of that you never say out loud. Really? Oh man. <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. I like this. Yes. Because I was I, you know, in honor of my grandmother, I will, because I was just telling my husband that my grandma was the one person that I could always, like, just straight up brag to yeah, and tell her, like, and she would just, like, love it. She'd eat it up. So, in honor of her memory, um, I am incredibly proud that I have become a role model, that, you know, who I am and what I stand for is hopefully having a, po- is having a positive influence on younger women and encouraging them to be kind to themselves and to honor themselves and, and be proud and, and speak up for what they're feeling. Goosebumps. Goosebumps. I loved it. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Rachel. I appreciate, especially with everything that's going on, that you made the time to do this. And you're um, such an inspiration. And now this is the second time we've hung out. And it basically, I'm getting, I'm not crying, but I really legitimately have goosebumps. I'm sorry. sorry. Oh, wonderful. 
wonderful. Thank you. You know what? Honestly, it actually helped me too. It was nice to remember. That was a nice thing to ask. I think everyone should be asked that. You should ask everyone at the end of a podcast. Oh my God. You're the last person I've talked to today. I should have asked them all. You're right. Okay. We got to redo it all. Yes. yes. (laughs) And you should do like a moment of silence at the very end of the podcast and maybe put some like inspirational hip music (gasps) and be like, here's a minute. Say to yourself. Oh my gosh. That you might not say out loud. You're a a genius. Wait, Rachel, should we host a podcast together? Should we go into business? I feel like this could be a thing. Yes. Okay. Yes, I would love to host a podcast. That's so fun. Okay, perfect. I'm going to email you. Okay. Awesome. Okay, but do the moment of silence. Okay. Yes, got it. I love it. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was so thank great you, to talk you to you. Cheering, thank you for cheering me up. You're so sweet. Oh, always. All right, talk okay. to you soon. Bye. 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 I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling inspired AF right now. Also super obsessed with Rachel Platten. In addition to listening to the Cosmopolitan.com podcast every week, look for me and Rachel to launch our own little side project. Um, But in order to do that, you guys all have to take her advice and take your own moment of silence and say something you want to totally brag about, which I guess now I feel like I should do that. I guess the thing that I want to brag about is this is like 40 some episodes I think we've actually done of the podcast and this always kind of felt like something I was just doing on the side. And I'm so thankful that this has become a real show. And I'm so thankful to you guys for tuning in and listening every week. So please continue listening. Let me know. I love hearing when you guys send me emails. I still need to write back to some of you, but I promise I will. Let me know what you want to hear us talk about next on the podcast. And as always, please rate it. Please share it. Please put it out into the world. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 